this already sick right here. Cool. So I introduced him a little bit, but before he gets into the, what do you have, three and a half hours this morning? Four? Four, maybe, yeah. Four and a half, somewhere in there. Cook, I don't know, I was just thinking, uh, I want to ask you just a couple questions to start off. Uh, I, I just want to ask who's had an influence on your life in a couple key areas of, that I've known you. I mean, first, obviously, you got your family sitting over here. As a father or a husband, who's been someone that's had a, a big influence in, in your life? Uh, you didn't tell me you're going to ask me these questions here yeah, this know, morning. Uh, that was intentional. <laughs> so, as a father, husband? Yeah, like, who's, who's been influential in that realm? Yeah, I think um, there's not there's not honestly one person that jumps out, Eric. Um, obviously, the scriptures the scriptures are are the biggest influence in my life over over every aspect. Um, uh, I was a part of Seaside Community Church for a, a, quite a long time. That's how I know Eric and others of you here and. Um, just a lot of the guys, really, and, and gals at Seaside, yeah. um, from John and Larry to, gosh, Aaron McBrady to uh, a whole host of, of guys, uh, Mary Aversa, Joe Aversa, um, my wife, her family, I mean, a lot. So I, I, I can't name one name, okay. but, um, you know, I've had a lot of models um, in my life of, of what it looks like to be a man and a father. And, and then you have, like, um, people like... John Piper and R.C. Sproul and uh, and so you know people that I don't know but who I feel like I know through online type stuff. Um, so uh, yeah, there's probably other people that I'm missing. Um, Brian, honestly, Brian's been such a good friend and uh, you know I've learned a lot watching you, Brian. And um, so all, all my buddies have been a good influence. So yeah, I'm sure I'm missing something golden, but couple more. It. Yeah. Uh, Aaron's a really remarkable surfer, and he's humble about it, but he is really a, an exceptional surfer. Uh, who's been an influence, like, surfing-wise? Like, who do you look up to and be like, man, that guy, the way his style is, or his... Yeah. Wow, the questions this morning. Stumping you right I had now, no huh? idea I'd be asked about my <laughs> surfing influences. Sean, you want to... My, my son Sean's raising his hand. What's up, bud? So, I don't know if you guys know John John Florence... Uh, I would say he's big influence on my son's life. I love John John surfing for sure, but I, um, when I was growing up, like Kelly Slater was was the guy, and he's still kind of the guy um, for me. Um, anyone with good style. As I've gotten older, um, I don't need to see crazy full rotation airs. I, I like to see guys who look like they're having fun surfing and that they have a just a fluid connection with with the with the wave. So, yeah, Kelly, uh, Dane Reynolds, just for his kind of outside the boxness. Um, yeah, I'll drop those names. All right, um, and obviously, phenomenal musician. You've played music your whole life. Um, what about musically? Who's been an influence on you? Yeah, another good question. I mean, this is a long, a long one. My earliest musical influence was uh, was Hendrix. Any any guitar players? Hendrix. I, I know Mark. We kind of talked already. Um, so Hendrix is a guitar player. This is pre Christ. This is before I knew you know Christ. I was very much I worshipped Hendrix. I mean, kind of literally. Um, your classic rock guys and then uh in, into christianity i discovered delirious um I, I discovered jars of clay um phil wickham uh switchfoot uh, john foreman fernando ortega i don't know if you guys know who fernando ortega is kind of kind of older guy but uh fernesto fondales my friends like to call him uh <laughs> to me to me is still probably one i was asked the other day if i if i could choose like one musical influence i probably would, would go with fernando um, and then kind of over the last few years, just 
songs that are that are rich in lyrical content, especially theological content, um, just strong lyrics. City of Light is, is one that's mm-hmm. kind of been a blessing. Um, yeah. Theologically, you mentioned some as, I know, Piper and Carson. Is there any theological influence that you would say, um, kind of who's had a, an influence on you theologically as you've, as you've done a lot of study and more of God's Word, kind of taken on some more pastoral um, work in there? Yeah. So I would say around 2008-ish, 9-ish, I stumbled upon a guy named Francis Chan. Some of you guys might know who Francis Chan is. And, and I was just blown away by Francis and just his, his passion, his love for God. And, and, I, and I had to find out more about Francis. And as you uh, explore Francis, he leads you to John Piper. John Piper was kind of his guy. And John Piper, for me, has been a very strong influence. And, and he opens you up to the Reformers. Um, a whole host of guys, Edwards and, and your Spurgeons and your Spruels and, and then, you know, a lot of kind of uh, current guys like Carson and Alistair Begg and just, just a host of guys. Um, I would say Piper has been a, has been a gateway for sure for me um, on a lot of things. Uh, and, and my wife and I still to this day listen to a lot of Piper, Ask, ask Pastor John. Ask, ask Pastor John is what it's called, right? Mm-hmm. The app. So, gosh, Piper has been a, has been a big one for me. Yeah. yeah. All right, that's it. That's I'm going to be quoting Piper in about five <laughs> minutes. So, yeah. um, so, again, my friend Aaron, known each other for a long time. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks for just this little. Yeah. yeah it, and my I, dad, can I go that's sit down? <laughs> that's your sermon. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah, thanks, Eric. That was fun. If you have me back, I need to be, I, I need some questions ahead of time. Does anybody get to ask Eric questions in the morning? You guys should start asking Eric questions. So, Eric, who's your favorite cyclist? Um, hey, so good morning, guys. Um, my name is Aaron, and um, I, I've seen many of you before. I've been here a couple times, and, uh, and, and others of you I know from, from Seaside Days. Um, I am so blessed and honored and excited to, to be able to, to preach this morning, to be with you. So thank you guys for having me. Eric, thank you for, for inviting me. Um, I'm stoked. I'm really, really stoked. Um, a few weeks back, I asked Eric, hey, are you guys going through a book? Are you guys in a series? What kind of theme are you in? He's like, nah. We're kind of in transition. It's all yours, baby. The, the whiteboard is blank, so to speak. And, uh, and so, okay, I started thinking and praying about uh, what to say. And, and I started thinking about, you know, how could, I, how could I build you guys? How could I bless and encourage you guys, um, this church? How, what could I possibly say that would maybe encourage you guys and help you? So that, that was my framework for going into it. Um, that led me to a text that we'll go through this morning. I've got, I've got three main points that I want to kind of lift up. You'll probably be familiar with them. I'm not going to preach anything groundbreaking or new, um, but it's good to be reminded by the ancient truths. Um, and so that's what I hope to do today. And I hope, I hope you guys are encouraged and blessed. We, the context that we are in, needless to say, is, is different than, than most of the context that we've known throughout our lives. You know, um, we live in some uncertain times, some unstable times from from the pandemic to our economy to politics and social issues, media issues, and on and on and on. Um, it's, a, it's a strange time and an uncertain time. And so given that, um, I hope that these few points that I lift up today will, will just be an encouragement to you and, and, uh, and to myself as well. So with that said, uh, if you've got a Bible or a Bible app, why don't you guys go to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And uh, in your Bible, if you go to the Psalms kind of in the middle and you turn left about 100 pages 
you'll find yourself around 2 Chronicles 20. A little bit of context about this text. Um, it's about 100 years after the passing of King David. The kingdom of Israel is divided. And the kingdom of Israel is, is kind of limping in and out of relationship with Yahweh. And um, Jehoshaphat is king in this story. Scriptures say he's a good king. Uh, his dad, Asa, was a good king. And though, uh, though Judah, the tribe of Judah, the kingdom of Judah, had, had, had drifted from Yahweh, uh, Asa and Jehoshaphat have, have, have initiated reform. And so they're in a time of, of returning to God, returning to the worship of Yahweh. And in chapter 19, we see Jehoshaphat uh, initiating these reforms, which brings us to chapter 20, verse 1. After this, the Moabites and Ammonites, and with them some of the Munites, came against Jehoshaphat for battle. So Israel, Judah, they're in a time of returning to the Lord. And you would think like, ah, we're, we're returning to Yahweh. We're doing the right thing. We're worshiping God. You're going to bring us peace, right? Wrong. God brings them testing in the form of a battle, in the form of three different kings and kingdoms that, that basically want to wipe out the kingdom of Judah. Verse 2, some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom. From beyond the sea. And behold, they are in Hazazon Tamar. That is in Gedi. That's about two weeks walk um, from En Gedi to Jerusalem. So they got two weeks. A battle, three against one. Three nations coming against one. And they've got two weeks to prepare. Verse 3. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid. And set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. I love this line right here. There's so much in this line. Jehoshaphat is afraid. We've all known what it's like to be afraid at various points in our lives. Jehoshaphat takes that fear and it drives him to the Lord. I love that. Fear, fear can do a lot of things to a person. It can easily pull us from God drive us away from God. Here we see Jehoshaphat taking his fear to the Lord. And I think this is the crux. This, this is the key part of the story. Three verses in and we're already seeing the key point in the story. Jehoshaphat was afraid and he set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. Verse 4. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. So they're doing the right thing. They're afraid. Can you imagine the fear? You're about to be invaded by three different nations bigger than you. You've got two weeks to do something. And they come and they seek the Lord. Verse 5. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, this is Jehoshaphat's prayer. O oh Lord, God of our fathers, are you not great in heaven? 
You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might, so that none is able to withstand you. Jehoshaphat comes to the Lord and he begins to remember and proclaim that God is sovereign. And this is one of the main things I want to share and encourage you with this morning is to remember that God is sovereign. Overall, in the midst of the pandemic, in the midst of the politics, in the midst of the craziness and the chaos, God is still sovereign. And I love that Jehoshaphat, at the beginning of his prayer, just, he's afraid, and yet he's not rattled. It hasn't taken away his, his vision and his uh, ability to remember that God is still in control and that God is still sovereign. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing good. Good. What you got there? Um, oh, little grape, juice? Grape juice. Grape juice? Grape juice. Nice. My, my mom took me, me to to Walmart out Best 56 and so beach. You can buy that, buy that new bike lock that costs $16. Very, very good. Well, it's good to see you this morning, buddy. I oh, know. My name is Jonathan Elvis. Yeah. So my bitch is on Halloween, so I'm going to be the big, big 44 next year. Yeah. I, I see. I, I got I got that, that calendar of wrestling calendar at, at Walmart for my mom. Good job, bud. That name, she name, is, she name is Sarah on it. Sarah on it. That was this girl named Sarah on it. And said, and said, what's your name? My name is Aaron. Hi, hey, we've Aaron. met before. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna just keep going, okay, bud? Okay. Okay. Thanks, bud. Yeah. I saw Thanks, the, bud. I was calendar and uh, that blonde hair, that blonde hair. That belong here, being two calendar that have belong here Jessica on it and stuff at Walmart. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. That's awesome. Are you gonna me? Yeah, but it costs like those calendars cost cost ten dollars and stuff. That's the prices have gone up. The economy is bad right now, people. And so, so yeah, so whether you're shopping for expensive calendars or whether you're facing three nations, it's important to remember that God is sovereign. God is in control. I love the doctrine of God's sovereignty. What does it mean that God is sovereign? Well, as I mentioned, big fan of John Piper, and uh, Piper has a definition for the sovereignty of God, and then we'll look at some scriptures. John Piper, former pastor of Bethlehem Baptist Church says, when we say God is sovereign, we mean that he is powerful and authoritative to the extent of being able to override all other powers and authorities. Nothing can successfully stop any act or event or design or purpose which God intends to bring about. God is in charge. Guys, even right now, even today, I mean, it's, it's, it's easy today, right? The sun is shining. It's beautiful. The temperature is just right. It's Sunday. But what about those days when it's, when it's darker, when the rain falls, and when the rain figuratively falls in our lives, and when we are afraid? Remember that God is sovereign even then. He is in charge. Spurgeon says that the sovereignty of God is the pillow upon which the Christian rests his head at night. I just want to encourage you guys to remember God's sovereignty. Remember, He is still in control. Even in this pandemic, even in 2020, 2021, God has not left the throne. At no point has God said, oh boy, what are we going to do now? God is, has always been, and always will be in charge. Daniel chapter 4, 35 says that God does according to his will 
among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Job 42, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Finally, Ephesians 1.11, God works all things, all things according to the counsel of his will. Guys, all things are in his hand and are working according to his plans. R.C. Sproul kind of whimsically and succinctly states that there is not one piece of cosmic dust that is outside the scope of God's sovereign providence. He also says there are no maverick molecules. God is sovereign. All of this is in his hands. And because of that, that brings me peace. I don't understand half of what's happening. I don't know what the future is going to look like. I don't know what the next few months are going to look like. I have genuine fears for the coming years. The one thing that brings me peace, abiding peace, is the knowledge that God is in control and that God is good and that all of these things are in His hand. Guys, the darkest day in history. What do you think the darkest day in history was? Many would say that it was the day the Son of God was crucified. The one holy, true Son of God, through whom all things were made, He came to His own and His own rejected Him, crucified Him. That was the darkest day in history. And even then, God was at work in the midst of that darkness. Do you guys remember Acts chapter 4, the disciples' prayer after, after Peter and John, they've They've, they've healed a man. The local authorities have, have roughed them up, released them. Peter and John come back to the disciples and they have this prayer. And in the prayer they say, Truly in this city, O God, they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. The darkest day in the history of the world, the crucifixion of, of Christ, was a part of the Father's plan. And yes, that raises lots of difficult questions about God's sovereignty in, in the suffering of man. I don't claim to know all the answers to how that works. Isaiah 55 says that His ways are higher than my ways. His thoughts are greater than my thoughts. But an illustration that, uh, that has, has, has brought me encouragement and maybe will to you as well. When we, when, we think of, when we think of the pain and the darkness and pandemic and death and fear. And God, where are you? If you're sovereign, why? Why is this happening? I don't understand. Um, those of you that have little children who have had kids or, or who can remember being a child and getting shots... Okay, so when my little ones, um, when they would get their vaccinations, how old are they when they get vaccinations? Like 11 months or? They, yeah, so little tiny little mushy little babies, right? You take them to the doctor. There's this nurse with a sharp object called a needle. And you consent to handing over your precious little child to be pricked with the painful needle. 
Does the baby understand what's happening? The baby is not able to comprehend the purpose and the plan for this. You as the parent understand that there is good in this. I'm, I'm doing this vaccination because I love you, because I want to protect you. For your good, I've brought you. All the baby knows is dad brought me to pain. That's all the baby can possibly understand. And yet with maturity and with years, the baby will understand like, oh, I understand the plan for that. I understand the reason why. Guys, you and I are babies in our thinking compared to the holy, sovereign God. So, so remember the different darkness and pain in our life. Could it be that God is working something wonderful and good even then? I, that's my hope in all this. And Jehoshaphat is remembering that God is sovereign. He's taking his fear to the Lord. And the first thing he does is he goes, God, you've got this. I know you've got this. Verse 7. Jehoshaphat continues in his prayer. Did you not, O God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? Now Jehoshaphat is looking back on the word of God. God, didn't you promise to Abraham back in Genesis 12, 15, 17? Didn't you promise that he would be a great nation, that he would inherit the promised land, Canaan. And God, didn't, didn't you do that? Didn't you drive those people out? Not only is Jehoshaphat re reflecting on the fact that God is in control, but he's remembering God's promise to Israel. And so that brings me to the second main point, guys. It, in the midst of this pandemic, in the midst of the chaos, and in all times, I just want to encourage you, one another, to cling to the word of God, to remember the word of God. Again, nothing revolutionary here. Just a reminder that the Word of God is our anchor. It is our rock. Remember that God is sovereign. And remember His Word, His promises to you. They never fail. They never will fail. It's so important that we cling and that we hold tight to the Word of God. It's, it's easy to drift, isn't it? It's so easy to kind of get off that reading plan or just kind of... Let your Bible collect dust underneath a pile of clothes or whatever and, and kind of, um, and not come to the table and feast on the Word of God regularly. It's, it's very easy for us in this high-paced life to do that. And I just want to encourage all of us to, to stay close to your Bible and to cling to the Word of God now in this time and in all time. Why? Why do I say cling to the Word of God? Well, it is the rock in the storm. Matthew 7, the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. If you listen and you live out my word, you will build your life on a rock. And the rain fell and the floods came. And the winds blew and COVID-19 came and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. The Word of God is our rock, you guys. The Word of God is a light in the darkness. Psalm 119, 105 says, Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The Word of God is comfort in the midst of sadness. 
Psalm 119, 28 says, My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. The word of God is joy in the midst of frustration. Psalm 119, 53 and 54. Hot indignation. I love this translation, the ESV. Hot indignation seizes me because of the wicked who forsake your law. I'm super upset at what I'm seeing right now. Your statutes, your word has been my song in the house of my sojourning. From hot indignation to singing when I remember your word. The word of God is peace in the midst of chaos. Psalm 119, 165. Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. Finally, the word of God is life in the midst of death. John chapter 6, after Jesus gave a, a particularly difficult and challenging teaching, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. The word of Christ is life, eternal life. It's not just self-help. It's not just wisdom. It is life. The gospel is life. It is our rock. It is our peace, our song, our comfort. The Word of God is all of these things. And so today, given the context of where we are more than ever, I just want to implore you to, to cling to that Word, to make space for His Word, to run to His Word. Guys, God is sovereign. He's in control of this. He's good. And His Word, His promises are true. And that's why Jehoshaphat mentions those things. I love that about him. He's afraid, he's very afraid, but he reflects on God's sovereignty and his promises. Drop down to verse 13. Meanwhile, all Judah stood before Yahweh with their little ones, their wives, and their children. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, son of Jael, son of Mathaniah, a Levite, of the sons of Asaph in the midst of the assembly. So the spirit falls upon Zechariah. And he said, Listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid. First words from the spirit of God. Do not be afraid. You guys have heard those words many times. It's, it's been said by, by many that that admonition to, to, to not fear is perhaps the most oft-stated message in the Bible. Some would say it's 365 days, one for every day of the year. I, I don't know about that number. Others would say, by the way, that um, perhaps the second most stated um, verse idea in the scripture is the idea to be joyful to sing and to praise Him. Do not fear. I don't know where you guys are at this morning. I, I don't know the context and 
the backstory of your guys' lives. I know that many of us are being affected by these days in different ways. Some of us, the virus has hit or is hitting very close. The economy, the way our children are being educated, the political landscape. We're all being affected by this in, in various ways. And, and if, if you find yourself being gripped by fear in these days, again, please listen. God does not want you to be afraid. Over and over and over in Scripture, He implores us, do not be afraid. I am with you. I've got this. Do not be afraid, Zechariah says, or Jehaziel says, and do not be dismayed at this great horde. I love the word horde. You don't see that word. You don't use that word every day. Do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. God's got this. Tomorrow, go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeriel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them and the Lord will be with you. The Spirit of God tells him, I've got, you don't have to do a thing. The victory is yours. Watch me work. Dropping down to verse 20. And they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah. So he's reminding them. You know, it's, that was a great rah, rah, rah speech at the temple. They, they started singing. They go home. Next day, they wake up. Are we sure about this? And so Jehoshaphat reminds them, Hear me, Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God and you will be established. Believe his prophets and you will succeed. Isn't that the gospel? Isn't that the gospel right there in 2 Chronicles? Believe and you will be established. Believe and you will succeed. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went before the army. So he gets Brian to Sean, says, hey, you got, you're going to get your guitar. You're going you're gonna to start singing before the army. Um, and we're just going to hang out and we're going to praise God. And we're trusting that God's going to take care of this battle. So they say, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. Verse 22. And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount. We don't know what this ambush looked like, but the Lord sets an ambush there against these three who had come out against Judah so that they were routed. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction. So for some reason, these two kingdoms were like, hey, you know what? This third kingdom that's coming with us? Uh-uh. Take them out. God stirs up this sort of violent spirit or impetus to where they take out Mount Seir. 
Verse 23, For the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction. Listen to this. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. So after they go and take care of Mount Seir, the Munites, they turn on each other and start battling. And they basically nullify themselves. They basically eat themselves. They basically kill one another. And the threat goes away. Dropping down to verse 27. So, so God, God does something miraculous and strange outside of what they could comprehend. Verse 27. Then Judah returned. Every man of Judah in Jerusalem and Jehoshaphat at their head, returning to Jerusalem with joy. For the Lord had made them rejoice over their enemies. They came to Jerusalem with harps and lyres and trumpets to the house of the Lord. And the fear of God came on all the kingdoms and the countries when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. So the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for his God gave him rest all around. Not only does this fearful situation bring Jehoshaphat and Judah to the Lord, to remind them of his sovereignty. And not only do we see that Jehoshaphat leans on the promises of God, but now we see a victory, right? We see a victory. God does something wonderful and saves them just like he said he would. And now the message of God's hand goes out to the nations. And I want, to, I want you guys to see something here. The gospel. Okay, Eric and I were talking about this morning. Um, what is the gospel? The gospel is that we are sinful God is holy and he's rescued us. He's redeemed us through the death of his son on the cross. That if we believe in Jesus, we get his righteousness and his holiness and we have right standing before God. Okay? It's so exciting to see that gospel message lined all throughout the Old Testament. In this story, you guys, this isn't just a story about a king in Israel and God rescuing them. Guys, this story is the gospel. Listen, you and I have an enemy. It's not Moab. It's not Ammon. It's sin. We have a far greater enemy than any earthly enemy we could ever face. We face sin. We face death. Notice how God says, I will fight this battle for you. I will provide a victory. You don't do anything. You stay put, watch me work. Guys, we don't do anything to cleanse ourselves from our sin. We have no place in our salvation other than accepting the victory that God has already won through his son on the cross. Jesus has fought the battle. Jesus has won the victory over sin. And we stand and we celebrate and we rejoice. And we take that message to the nations. Just like we see the word of God and the fear of the Lord going out to the surrounding nations here, we take the gospel out to the surrounding nations. And so that's my third and final point, you guys. Um, There's a lot of talk about the vaccine. 
right? The vaccine. We were talking this morning about the vaccine. Guys, there's a far greater disease than coronavirus that we all, that all mankind have to contend with. These vaccines will not solve, and will not, will not heal. But Christ is the vaccine for sin. All have sinned and fall short of the glory, and the wages of sin is death. Every single man, woman, child alive is infected with the disease of sin. Every man, woman, child alive needs the vaccine of Christ. And so we talk about frontline workers, right? And yes, praise God for people on the front lines treating, helping, serving, sacrificing, suffering in this war against the pandemic. But guys, let's not forget, we need frontline workers to go into the nations with the gospel, the vaccine of Christ. What about that front line? So what? You get coronavirus and then you get, uh, you recover from it. Or so what? You get the vaccine and you're immune. You and I will still stand before a righteous God one day. We need Christ. The nations need Christ. And so my encouragement is to, is to remember the true front line. And consider how, how might God be stirring in us to, 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 to join that front line. I, I don't mean that you're all going to go to China or become a missionary. But at some point, don't you want to be a part of the gospel getting out, the life-saving word of God getting out to the nations? We all have a part to play. You know, Paul, perhaps the most famous missionary of all, had people who were praying for me. He said, pray for me that the Lord would open doors to the message. Perhaps our part in the frontline battle for hearts and souls is, being, is praying. Praying that God would open doors here in Garden Grove. Continue to pray for Eric and his family. Continue to pray for the people around you. Perhaps you have some gift to share with the church that will help build the church and bless your neighbors. I don't know what it is. Perhaps you, you have a stirring to teach and preach the word of God. I don't know. Um, but I want you guys to consider um, the front line and how you and I might, might continue to, to serve and to help get the life-saving gospel out to those who need to hear it. So again, as I close, uh, the three things I came here to encourage you with. One, remember God's sovereignty. He's got this. He's always had this. And yes, even now, he has a purpose for all of this. And it's okay if, if we don't understand it, if we don't even like it. But remember that God is doing something. Nothing can stay his hand, Jehoshaphat said. And I hope that brings you some kind of peace and hope. Um, cling to the word of God. We so need that daily word of God. Remember when, when Jesus in Matthew 4 fast for 40 days and the Bible says, and he was hungry. Uh, yeah. The tempter comes. You want some, you can make bread out of these stones. And Jesus essentially says, more than food right now, even though I'm next to death, more important than that is 
God's Word. It's more important than the very food that sustains your body. We need spiritual food daily, and that's the Word of God. Our rock, our light, our comfort, our song. And finally, um, let's join the front line in, in whatever way that looks for you. Let's pray. Let's consider how we can help. Guys, people need the Word of God. I, January 31st, it's coming up on the anniversary. In one week, it'll be the anniversary of, of my coming to Christ. It was January 31st. What year, Brian? 97. 97. So what's that, 20... How many years is that? My math's bad. 24. Yeah, it sounds about right. 24 years ago, next Sunday, um, I was walking on the Huntington Beach Pier by myself, skateboard under my arm, and two guys came up to me I'd never seen. They said, hey, do you mind if we ask you a question? I'm like, oh, gosh. Yeah, go ahead. What does Jesus Christ dying on a cross mean to you? Oh, so awkward and I said honestly I said nothing I didn't grow up with faith I was not seeking in any way God I was just out looking for the, looking, checking out the waves and yet God was seeking me that night and he stirred up these, these guys used to go out on the weekends and they would just go out and see if the Lord would open up doors to share the gospel and it was a cold January night they left their homes. They were from Redondo Beach, Calvary Chapel. They went to Huntington. They walked on the pier. They probably got a lot of re rejection. They probably received a lot of negative feedback. And yet they kept going. And they walk up to me. Can we ask you? Can we talk to you? And just to be polite, I'm like, okay. About 20 minutes later, because of these things that they shared, because of the word of God that they shared, my heart just just started to open. My eyes started to open, and I and I said, "How do you, how do you do it? How, how do you become a Christian?" And they said, "Pray with us." And so I did, and that and that kicked off new life. I was born again that night. The old Aaron, he's gone. The new has come. I am saved. I am sanctified. I'm a I'm a child of God heir to heaven because these guys went out and shared the gospel and how can I sit on that gospel now how can I now go sweet awesome thank you for sharing the gospel thank you for basically rescuing me from hell and I'm just going to camp out here in my house for the rest of my life and, and sing I'm not saying you guys have to go to the pier I'm just saying I, I feel some kind of discontentment just sitting still and, and I feel like I want to get in the game and I need to get in the game and, and, uh, and do you guys ever feel that? Do you guys sense that? This, this call to, to somehow be hands and feet that reach out to the nations with, with the gospel um, they need it. They need the vaccine of Christ um, Okay I want to close with a verse I had a verse, but I'm gonna I'm gonna leave it. Let's do this. Um, I'm gonna pray. Brian, are you gonna come back up or no? Okay. Thought I had a verse, but I don't. Uh, let's pray.
Father, we thank you for this new day that you've given us. We thank you for your grace over our lives. We thank you for eternal life. We thank you, God, that that you've got this and that you're in control. And we thank you, Lord, for your promises to us. We thank you, Lord, that someone somewhere along the way went out shared that word with us and so God would you stir in us this morning uh, what you will whatever seeds went out this morning uh, I pray that you would water them and plant them according to your will Lord you have a plan for each and every one of us and God would you lead us and would you guide us in the coming days help us to not be afraid but help us believe and Lord may your blessing be upon everyone here their families their loved ones. Lord, may your blessing be upon our our nation. God, we so desperately need you. Lord, may your blessing be upon the nations. They so desperately need you. We thank you, O God. We thank you for your word to us this morning. Be glorified in our lives this day and always. We pray this in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, Brian, come on up.